So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter number 3. 1 Samuel chapter number 3. And uh, by the way, this is a, a great theme for a conference, send. And I think about those biblical terms of sending and being sent and God's call. And I'd like to bring a, a message this evening entitled, The Lord is Calling. Okay, before we can send anyone, uh, that sent one needs to understand God's call in their lives. So uh, that's all important. We're going to look at that from the life of a young lad by the name of Samuel. So 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verses 1 through 10. We'll refer to and probably read some additional scriptures through the message and allude to uh, different passages here. But to begin with, let's read these first 10 verses. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1, the Bible says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called uh, yet again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Shall we pray? Lord, we're thankful uh, that we can be together in this place. And uh, thank you so much for, uh, Lord, what we've already experienced uh, uh, just last night and then uh, this evening, uh, Lord, by the way of our hearts being challenged through your word and uh, through the musical message and then, of course, a wonderful fellowship. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we um, look at your word this evening, that you'd even, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, take some small portion of this message and just imprint that on a young person's mind and heart, Lord, in their soul. And, uh, Lord, in the hearts of your people, something that we could take with us that will, uh, Lord, maybe just expand our horizons a little bit when it comes to thinking about this great work of world evangelization, reaching a world that's lost and dying tonight without Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that, the Lord, as we move into the weekend and then Sunday, it would be, Lord, just a very fitting conclusion to this meeting, uh, and that, uh, Lord, we would know 
that we have met with you. And so we give you thanks. We uh, ask it all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake. Amen. The Lord is calling. Well, we learn that the Lord is calling and was calling in the life of Samuel. And when you think about Samuel, uh, one thing that you understand from 1 Samuel chapter 1 is that the family uh, dynamic of Samuel was less than ideal. Now, he did have a praying mother, uh, but you know, his, his father, Elkanah, had two wives, Panina and Hannah. And of course, uh, Hannah had been barren. She wasn't able to have children. And uh, Panina uh, had many children. And so there was this adversarial relationship between the two wives of uh, Elkanah. And so uh, Hannah was grieved about that. And she was burdened that she would also have chi- a, a child. And, and of course, uh, you know, her, her husband, the Bible says, she, he, he loved Hannah. But, you know, there is an instance there in First Samuel chapter 1 uh, where uh, Elkanah really, I, th- I think he, he stepped out of bounds, said the wrong thing to his wife. You ever said the guys said the wrong thing to your wife and, and then you realize soon the words were out of your mouth? And that was not wise. All right. And, and he, he said to Hannah, he said, you know, am, am I not better to you than ten sons? Well, how do you think that went over with his wife? Not well, I'm sure. Uh, but but Hannah, being a godly woman that she was, she just continued to pray. And there she was one day uh, at the temple, and she was she was praying, and she was broken in her spirit and her heart, praying for a child. And Eli, the high priest, saw her. He, he saw her moving her lips. He didn't hear any words coming out, and he thought she was drunk. And so he made a false accusation against her, and she straightened him out and said, no, no, no. And part of that prayer of Hannah was, Lord, if you bless me with a son, the son I prayed for, then I am making a vow that I will give my child, my son, my firstborn, back to you. He will be dedicated. His life will be committed, God, to your service. And that was a prayer that God heard and God honored and God blessed. And ultimately, uh, Hannah gave birth to a little boy named Samuel. And you know, that vow that she had made, Pastor Russ mentioned uh, last night how that we can be in a missions conference and you can see the, the, the video presentations and you can hear the Word of God preached and you can, you can have your heart stirred maybe by a biblical principle and then you can walk out the door and then a few days later and a week later, missions conference is now over, you forget all about it. And you forget about what it is that God did in your heart. But you know, there's something deeper than just the emotional stirring of a moment. And so it was with Hannah. And she followed through on that vow. And so when the, when the young boy was weaned, probably at the age of three or four, I don't know, somewhere around there, that she followed through. And her and her husband uh, took the child up to the temple. And there they left him uh, at the temple and with the high priest. And he was there uh, to serve the Lord uh, through his aid. Now, they, they came to visit him at least once a year. These were days when the priesthood was perverted in many ways. As we learn in chapter 2 of Eli's complacency and of the corruption in the lives of his son. And into all of that, think of it, comes this innocent, impressionable child whose birth was the answer to his sweet mother's prayer. 
But then in our text this evening, we read after some time had passed that the Lord uh, now in, in his perfect timing, he was calling the boy. He was calling him for a specific mission, for a specific purpose in his life. And he called to him and Samuel answered. Samuel heard that call and ultimately Samuel was used in a great way. Now, I believe tonight that God is not through calling. God is not finished. He is calling missionaries. He is calling church planters and pastors, vocational Christian workers. He's calling Christian laymen and laywomen into His service. You see, even if you're not uh, full-time so-called in serving the Lord as a pastor, evangelist, a missionary, God is still calling you. You're still part of the team. If you're saved tonight, God has something for you. God has a mission for you. And so tonight, He might be calling you. God might be knocking on your heart's door and saying, what will your response be? Will you follow through like Samuel did? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then it says, how, how then shall they call in him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? Without a preacher. Why is God calling people? Because there needs to be preaching. There needs to be this message communicated. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Well, the, the word's not up there anymore. Okay, uh, sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I often think of Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem and how he was moved with compassion. Matthew chapter 9 tells us, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And Jesus just having surveyed uh, the not only the physical but the spiritual condition of hearts of men and women in Jerusalem turned to his disciples and said, the harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are what? They're few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers in his harvest. So Christian laborers are needed today. Possibly and probably more than ever before. We have seven and a half billion people in the world tonight. So God's calling, I think that's um, unquestionable. There's no controversy about that. If, if, if you, you, you know and you believe the Word of God, God is still calling tonight. Here's the big question. Are we listening? Well, we know from statistics that uh, there, there are parts of the world that are uh, more saturated with missionaries and some other parts where uh, missionaries are quite sparse. For instance, we talk about the 1040 window. Parts of Africa and Asia, uh, which are densely populated, but it seems very few laborers are, are there. Uh, one statistic uh, says that if the ratio of Christian workers to total population that exists in northern Africa were applied to Canada and the USA, those two countries would have about 120 full-time Christian workers living in them, and there would only be seven small churches in the entirety of our two countries. Now, that's mind-boggling. That's startling. But that's the reality. Uh, do you think there uh, could be Christians that God's calling to the 1040 window? 
young men and young women to serve God, but uh, maybe they're missing the call somehow. Maybe they're not obedient to the call. I, I believe that's highly likely. And while the need is not as glaring in Canada, you know, there's still a tremendous need for laborers here. 300 independent Baptist churches, 37 million people across the country, one for every 125,000 souls. We get into the cities uh, like Toronto, like Montreal, like Vancouver, and the ratio jumps probably closer to one church for every half a million souls. In addition to that, we get out into the remote areas, and there's numerous cities and towns without a single independent Baptist church. I have a list of 26 such communities uh, here. I'm not going to take the time. Uh, to, to read every, every one of them to you. But in every province and in every territory, there are communities, sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20, uh, even upwards to 100,000 where there's not even one independent Baptist church. The list I have includes 26 communities with a total uh, uh, composite population of 600,000 people, and there's zero independent Baptist churches to minister to represent uh, in those communities. And so the message, I believe, uh, one of the messages, at least, that God's called me to proclaim across Canada and wherever else that God gives me the opportunity is that there's such a need and that God is calling. And we need to be people uh, that have a heart to respond. And you might ask tonight, well, why should we listen to you, Pastor Thiessen? Well, the truth is, really, I'm nobody. The truth is, I'm not the one that calls preachers. I don't commission them. I don't send them out. And so the reality is you do not need to listen to me. Say, wow, that's good. But here's the truth. You better be sure you're listening to God. You better be sure you're listening to His Word. And so from our text this evening, I want us to consider together... Uh, several things about Samuel's call that might help us better understand uh, the nature of God's call, maybe maybe in our own lives. And you might say tonight, well, P- Pastor Thiessen, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm up there in years. You know, I'm, I'm not about to uh, leave my uh, vocation and my life's work and go off to the mission field. And no, and that might be quite true. And God might just want you right here, planted right where you are, serving alongside Pastor Alcock, uh, ministering, giving, giving of your time and your talent, your treasure through the local church. And that's great and that's wonderful. But here's the thing. Many of us also have children and we have grandchildren. And sometimes I think we fail to understand that God might be working in their lives, too. God might be calling them. And, you know, sometimes it's a matter of us as the older generation to be praying for them and to be encouraging them and to help instruct them about the call of God. So I believe with that being said, there's there's something for every one of us tonight in this message. And so I, I hope that um, the, the Holy Spirit has your attention tonight as we look at this. And we're going to consider uh, three aspects. Uh, first, the context of Samuel's call along with Samuel's consciousness of the call and finally his commitment to that call. What is the context of God's call uh, here in Samuel's day? What, what kind of times were they that Samuel was born into? What was the world like in his day? What was society like? Well, I can tell you this. The culture was not conducive to producing spiritual leaders. And it was not a society... 
uh, that was a spiritual greenhouse, if you, if you will, for, for growing godly young people. These are the last days of the judges. Days when every man did that was right in his own eyes. And you just read through the book of Judges, and I'll tell you what, you read a lot of horrific things. God's people, the children of Israel, were a mess. It reminds you somewhat of the days in which we now live. It wasn't a good context. It wasn't a, it wasn't a godly society. And specifically, that era was a day of failed spiritual leadership. Now, just flip your Bibles back to chapter 2. I want to read you just briefly a couple of verses so you get the idea here. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Now, the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething and with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. And also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest. For he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wow. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Jump down to verse 22. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, there's no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to turn grass. If one man sin against the other, the judge shall judge him. But if man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding. They hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Eli's the high priest. Priest, he, he had failed as a leader. Isn't that clear? I mean, he, had, he failed as a father. Eli was spiritually ignorant, lazy, and apathetic at best. But his, his sons were scoundrels of the first rank. Thieves and adulterers. Corrupt beyond imagination in the, in a very office of the priest. And Eli would not discipline his boys beyond just a weak slap on the wrist. Wow. It was also a day of scarcity and suppression of the very message of God, God's Word, God's truth. We read in chapter 3, verse 1, that as a child Samuel had ministered here unto the Lord before Eli, it says the Word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. Precious means it's scarce, rare. It's a term that's often used to describe a gem or a precious stone. It just wasn't to be found. No open vision. Vision is the idea of a word from God or to foresee. The idea of it being open would be that it's spread out. It's broken forth. Now, they had the word of God, did they not? But it was the best kept secret in the land. And just like... Uh, Amos the prophet would later say there's a famine coming that's coming in the land. It's not a famine of bread. Hey, we don't have a famine of bread in Canada, do we? Uh, We ate at a buffet for lunch today. I can tell you, no one's going hungry at the Mandarin restaurant. All right? But there is a famine. There is a thirst. And it has to do with hearing the words of God. 
And just like in Samuel's day, there's that scarcity. Wow. But we can look at that and say that those are awful days. But I want you to know something. Out of even the deepest spiritual darkness, God can bring light. Out of the days of, uh, uh, of, of famine and want, God can bring amazing abundance. Out of days of despair, God delivers hope. And so what I really want to say here is that the context and the culture of Samuel's day, as it is in our day, is no reason to believe that God has done calling choice servants into his service. Don't you think for an instant tonight, young person, well, God won't call me. Don't think, don't imagine that God's not interested in calling our children. I've often said to my children, and they know it, listen, God may not call every one of them to full-time service. But Cindy and I, it would be the delight of our hearts if I would far rather have my children on the far opposite side of the world from me in the very center of God's will, serving Him, then I would have them around the corner out of God's will and serving themselves. And we need to understand, God wants to call our children, our grandchildren. Don't think that they're not needed. These are desperate days. And so in that day of failed leadership, a day of suppression of God's truth, Hannah surrendered her very best to God. Don't you love that? Gave her firstborn son. By the way, God blessed her later with three additional sons and two daughters. But at the time she surrendered Samuel, she didn't know that. In her eyes, and for all she knew, she was surrendering all that she had. Not only firstborn, but her only son. She gave him to God. God both needs and deserves our best, our finest, our first liners. You know, I think back to the some of the history of the modern missionary movement. And there, there were men, you look at a hundred, couple hundred years ago, men like C.T. Studd, who was a world-renowned cricketer. Uh, uh, William Borden, who was heir to a great family fortune. And these men turned their backs on that fortune and fame and said, we're serving God, we're following God. And, uh, folks, sometimes... Uh, and, and I understand. Listen, I, I get the gist of preaching. You know, and preachers will say stuff like this. Well, you know, if God can use me, bless God, He can use anyone. You know, and, and sometimes we're guilty, as preachers I'm saying, maybe of, of dumbing down that call of God a little bit. And it, it almost sometimes conveys a message. Well, you know what? If you can be a, uh, a top echelon uh, lawyer, businessman, doctor, go for it. If there's nothing else you can do in life, you could always serve God. And it's like we have this mentality, we'll just toss God our leftovers. Now listen, it's true, God can use any one of us. And God takes foolish things and simple things to confound the wise. But where is it that we're going to say, look, we'll give up the world for Jesus? And we'll serve Him. And we'll go to the mission field and preach the Gospel. Think of the testimony of that. That is the context of Samuel's day. Hannah gave her best. Now, I want you to notice nextly the consciousness of God's call. So God continues to call, but we're asking tonight, is the call being heard? Is it being recognized? Is the call being obeyed? If not, why? 
And so uh, what, what do we learn about Samuel's recognition of God's call? What do we learn about his consciousness of the call? A couple of things real quickly. We learn that God's call can be missed. So three, actually four times God called. Three times Samuel missed the call. Three times he ran to Eli, believing that the aged priest had called him in the middle of the night. And on the first two occasions, the old man just merely sent the lad back to bed. And God's call was being missed by Samuel. And we could, we could kind of look around to assign the blame of that. We could say, well, you know, uh, Samuel didn't recognize God's call. No, he didn't. He didn't recognize God's voice. But here's what I see in the Scripture. And verse 7 is significant in this. And I believe Eli, the old man, the priest, shoulders much of the responsibility in the young man's spiritual ignorance. Why? Look at this. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Samuel, as we said before, was presented to the high priest there at the temple, somewhere around three or four years of age. But now Samuel was uh, at least 12 years of age. Maybe in his teen years, the word child in verse 1 can refer to a, a range of age all the way from an infant to a youth of marriageable age. So what we know from the Scripture is sort of that age of, uh, you know, you know where, where people would volitionally follow the Lord and they would be uh, morally and spiritually uh, accountable to God. It's usually 12 and beyond. So that leads me to believe that, that Samuel is at least of that age. And so here he has been. In the, it should have been the hotbed of spiritual knowledge, the temple. He'd been there. You know, who knows, 8, 10, maybe 12 years. And he doesn't yet know the Lord. The Word of God is yet not disclosed to the young man. Are you kidding me? If he's not going to know the Lord, and if he's not going to have God's Word revealed to him in that environment, where on earth is he? And I believe a lot of the uh, responsibility should be shouldered by Eli. Could it be? That we have young people today who are missing God's call due to their own inattention, distraction, disobedience? Sure, I get that. But could it also be due to the fact that the older generation, that's you and I, has failed them? Perhaps we have not even considered the possibility that God might be calling them. Perhaps we have not instructed them and prepared them to hear and heed the call of God when it comes in their lives. Perhaps we would not know God's call if it rose up and slapped us in the face. God's call can be missed, and not just by our young people. But God's call is not easily dismissed in the consciousness of it. It came to the young man once. It came again. It came a third time. And still God was not done. A fourth call in the night before Samuel would respond. I don't think the old man or the little boy got much sleep that night, do you? Now listen carefully to this. When God calls, He does not change His mind. Now I was called to preach. It will be 35 years ago this December. And I remember uh, crawling out of bed at 3 in the morning after wrestling with God through the night and just getting down beside my bed and saying, okay, Lord, your will, not mine. I'll do whatever you want. And instantaneously, I knew God called me to preach. 
But suppose even that night I said, well, no, Lord, I'm still just going to go on fighting it. Do you think I could have been happy going on with my life and saying, you know what, I'll just be an engineer, I'll do this, I'll do that. And you think God would have just left me alone. You know, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm a child of God. God, Would God have left me alone? No. I would have had a miserable life. I, I wouldn't have been happy. I couldn't have been happy. Until I respond to that call. And so while God's call can be missed, it's not easily dismissed. And thank God for that. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That tells me He does not change His mind. And you can try and ignore it if you like. You can put your hands over your ears and you can run in the opposite direction. But think about Jonah. He tried that. How'd that work out for that old prophet? You know, he got on board that that ship at Joppa, headed for Tarshish. He went in the opposite direction. He ended up causing a big storm, tossed overboard, spent three days inside the belly of a fish along with all the other rotting contents of that animal's stomach. Yikes. Then he was vomited up on dry land. And we read an amazing thing in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Jonah's like, okay, I think I'll listen this time. <laughs> you know, it would have been better if he'd listened the first time. I agree. We all agree with that. But you know what? God's call is not easily dismissed. And finally, I want us to turn our attention uh, to the commitment of Samuel to God's call. So the context was wicked days, but God was still calling out a young man. His, his consciousness... Uh, was was that he'd heard the call three times before the fourth time it, with some instruction finally, he was able to respond. But then we immediately see his commitment. And in verse 9, Eli had said to Samuel, Go lie down, uh, and it shall be if he shall call the Lord, uh, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Good, good instruction. But Samuel went down, lay, lay in his place, the Bible says, and the Lord came and stood and called his other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. What I see in that response is a world of commitment. And, and it's proved out because it was lived out in Samuel's life. Now, there's commitment needed in so many areas of our lives tonight. Um, commitment uh, in the context of our families, commitment in marriage. Commitment even to an employer, commitment to a friend. And it just seems like there's very little of that commitment today. It's sad. A commitment to God's call. And I believe it means two things, and then we're through. The commitment to God's call means, like with Samuel, that he speaks and we listen. He speaks and we listen. Speak, Lord, for thy servant does what? Heareth. Now, in human conversations, some folks like to do all the talking. And, you know, I, I'm not against you if you have the gift of the gap. That's wonderful. But as one old preacher said, God gave us two ears, one mouth. Be wise to kind of use them in that proportion. You know, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Amen. Uh, it's good to do some listening, too. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. 
slow to wrath. Now, if that's true in human relationships, how much more true is that in the divine relationships, the one that we have as His children and He's our God? And we could be guilty of doing way more talking than listening in our relationship with God. God, if you'd just change my husband, if you'd just change these other people around me that are difficult. Wait a minute. Doesn't God have something to say to you? Oh, God, I'm coming to you with my little grocery list here. My laundry list of requests. And we lay that out all before God. And, and you know how it is. I mean, our lives are busy. And so you go through that prayer list in the morning and you're out the door to work. You're out the day for your, for your daily responsibilities. And, you know, I picture that, you know, God might be saying, uh, wait a minute, uh, you know, did, did you not stop to think that I might have had something to say too? You know, we just lay it all out there before the Lord. And then we're gone and we're off on our day. And, and, and we need to listen. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. It's not always verbal noise. Sometimes Some of us have a noisy soul. I mean, within our thoughts and emotions, we're continually getting way ahead of God and in the way of God speaking to us. It could be anxiety. It could be anger, bitterness, some other form of unrest. And it's so hard to be in tune with heaven's message when our hearts are full of earthly static and we just can't tune in heaven on that dial. Listen, let God do the talking for a change. You might be surprised what He'll say to you. That listening ear needs to be disciplined to hear, doesn't it? Children are like that. They don't naturally listen well to their parents. And I know missionary kids are different. They're a special breed, right? This never happens to you. Uh, but, you know, I've had with my children, uh, had to repeat instructions. Have you ever had that? And, and what does a child invariably say to you when you, as a father or mother, you repeat your instructions to your children? I know, Dad. I, you said it a million times. And I've had to stop and, and uh, say to my children at times, well, you know what? That's wonderful. I'm so glad you know that. But really, I'm not interested in your knowledge. I'm interested in you demonstrating that you actually heard what I said and following through with obedience. And if you had already done that, they would have no need for me to repeat. But, you know, God needs to repeat Himself with us, doesn't He? And so we've got to be disciplined. The Bible says that it's by reason of use in Hebrews 5, verse 14, that we have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we develop that spiritual hearing as we grow, as we learn to turn out and turn off the voice of the world, the voice of distraction. And so uh, if we're going to have a commitment to God's call, it means that He must speak and we are in the, in the listener's chair. All right? And secondly, we serve and He leads. In other words, when we sign up for service, when we hear God's call, it's not about us saying, well, well God, I, I'd like to do this. You know? And I'd like to sing in the choir. Well, the truth is, this side of heaven, not all of us get to sing in the choir. Okay? We can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's great. But I'll guarantee you, you're not all going to sing in the choir. That's okay. And so, we don't get to choose. 
It's God who uh, leads the way. The Hebrew rendering of Samuel's response to God's call is speak for your servant is listening with interest and with the intention of obeying. That's the attitude God desires in our life. Ready to serve. You say, well, how do you know that with Samuel? Well, what do we know about Samuel's life? He became a great man of God. A man of God's Word. Verse, verse 20 uh, of our text, chapter 3. It, it says, All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. They knew it. They heard him. <laughs> now, they didn't always agree with him. But boy, they heard the Word. And Samuel communicated God's message to kings and to the people and became highly respected. Chapter 3, verse 19 said that Samuel grew. The Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. We know about Samuel that he was a great intercessor. He was a man of prayer. Even when Israel had wrongfully uh, <coughs> persisted in her desire to have a king like all the nations around them. You know, Samuel was was really uh, burdened by that. But God said, no, no, you go ahead and anoint them a king. And then Samuel gave this message to Israel. He said, uh, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He said, you know what? You've made a wrong decision. I'm going to keep right on praying for you. What a man. What an impact he made on the nation of Israel. And Samuel was really one in a million. You know, I thought about that when we use that expression, one in a million. 37 million, uh, Pastor Alcock, in Canada. What if in 2018, it was only one in a million across Canada, but 37 young people, 37 individuals said, I'll be a man like Samuel. I'll be a man of God. I'll be a woman of... I'll hear, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And it wasn't just the emotion of a moment, but they said, we're following through on this. You think what God could do with 37 young people? One in a million. Now, I pray for more than one in a million. But even just one in a million, think of what God could do. So God's calling. Is He calling you? That's what... I can't answer that for you. Pastor Alcock can, Brother Russ, the missionaries, we can't answer that for you. But you have to answer God in that relationship. Let's bow our, our heads and our hearts as we close in prayer this evening. Lord, thank you for a few moments together. And Lord, you, you know the burden of Pastor Alcock's heart. And I believe his burden is right in line with what we preach tonight. And I know that's his desire to reach Canada with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the world, even through Mississauga International Baptist Church. And so, Lord, as you've spoken to hearts, I pray that there would be a response. We'll have an invitation. Lord, perhaps at the time of the invitation, there might be some that are already sensing that God's calling them, and I pray that they'll respond. It might be that some will go home and, and they'll wrestle with this for a while. But Lord, I pray that in, in the end and in every instance, Lord, Your will and Your way would win out in our hearts and lives. And so we'll thank You for this. Bless as we conclude the service now in Christ's name. Amen.